you have single-handedly changed our family because of mastermind because i felt safe enough and realized with your help realized that it's not just about the picking up of the toys and the back talk and the productive conversation scripts it's not about that it's about healing myself and becoming a better version of myself and showing up and being able to be that way for my entire family I really credit you with doing something that I literally have not been able to do with countless therapists and all the journaling and all the thinking and all the meditating and all the things. It was because of you. So thank you for helping heal what I thought was unhealable. You're listening to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast with Randy Rubenstein, episode 88. My name is Randy Rubenstein, and welcome to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast, where we believe when your thoughts grow, the conversations in your home flow. So this week's conversation, I wanted to include a coaching clip from a workshop I did where I went over something called the Pygmalion Effect. And the Pygmalion effect is the phenomenon whereby other people's expectations of a person affect that person's performance. And it was based on this study that was done at a school and um, in 1968 by some scientists. And, um, and I think y'all will find it interesting how they had the kids take these tests and then the teachers were given the test scores and sort of what happened and what this study concluded. But the bottom line is, is that what we think about our kids affects who they become. So if you think about it, your, your words, like what you say about someone, even like, you know how they say like every joke has a little element of truth, like words have power. So I know, and I hear it all the time, and I'm sure I've done it and still do it sometimes, where you talk about your kids and you kind of bond with other parents. Like you don't want to be like that jerky parent that's um, bragging or not so humbly bragging about your kids. So you bond with other parents sometimes by like saying funny things about your kids, but you're sort of like making a joke at their expense, even though we don't think about it like that. And we don't mean it like that. It's just sort of common. Like parents bond with other parents um, by, you know, just talking smack about their kids. And so I've heard recently, I overheard, or I was in a conversation where a mom was talking about how hellacious her teenager was and bonding with other parents of teenagers. And they were just talking about how terrible teenagers are and um, teenage girls are the worst and the drama and teenage boys, they start speaking disrespectfully and they were all bonding over this. But I just want y'all to remember like your words have power and there's some truth that you believe or you're worried about in those words. And so those words and what you think are totally connected and it's going to affect how what we focus on grows. The more you talk about your kids in that way, the more that's going to affect your think, thinking about them and your thoughts cause your feelings 
cause your actions, cause your results in life, right? So, so, so there's that. So when you, what you say about your children greatly affects your children. Because if you're thinking every time your teenager shows an example of why teenagers aren't to be trusted and they're horrible and it's all about risky behavior and it's teen teenagers and teen parents, um, that's going to affect how you feel about your kids and they're going to feel that because I think only, I just, I just heard this again recently, only 7% of communication is actually verbal. So, um, so what you think about them affects your tone, affects your body language, affects your facial expressions. They feel that. And if you think for yourself, like when you're around people that are in your one third haters club, you just know, no, nothing you do is going to make them like you. Or um, they just, they, 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 you can just tell that they don't like you. It's hard to show up as your best self when you're with those people. I know it is for me, right? And so, um, because it gets in your head, you can just tell. And so sometimes we like start to, we start to have that graspy energy where we're, we're trying to bend over backwards to convince these people that why they should like us. So then we don't show up as our most confident selves we show up with all this like needy, graspy energy, like, like me, like me, like me. We're trying to be funny. We're performing. We're not being our normal, awesome self because we're, we're so concerned with what they think about us. Right. And we're trying to get them to like us or the opposite. Sometimes maybe, you know, they don't like you. So then you get defensive and you're like play devil's advocate every second. And you're just like really negative. Right. So then you're not your most awesome self in that moment either. And it's because you can just feel their energy and it affects you. It's hard for it not to affect you. Well, our kids are the same way. So if, if we're thinking because we've been talking smack about them and so it's definitely affected our thinking and that's what's on our radar. And so we're thinking all these negative things about them. They are going to feel it and they are not going to show up as their best selves. So I think y'all will find this study that I talk about um, interesting and I, and I read about it. Um, and, and I also, you know, this isn't just parents of teenagers. I've also heard, I heard a mom recently talking about her little daughter and, um, and how, oh, she's going to give us hell when she's a teenager. She's already, you know, so manipulative. And, um, and she was explaining ways that she was manipulative and she just, she, she's not manipulative. It's like, you can think of it as like a little crafty four-year-old um, as being manipulative, or you can think like, she's a magical thinker. She's always like creating up stories. And she, um, she is very inve inventive and resourceful. And like, there's different words and language to use and ways of thinking about it. Like if you're going to think about your little four-year-old as being conniving, manipulative, already outsmarting you, um, already a mean girl, sassy, right? Like sassy, what about if we thought about it as leadership energy? And what about if we thought about it as you have tremendous leadership energy and now I can help guide you for good rather than for evil, right? So there's just different spins 
and different ways of thinking about your kids. And even if they're showing up with some of these very strong traits, like a teenager that's acting out, well, they're acting out for a reason. Or, you know, there's, there's something interesting I learned recently about um, the teenage brain, how it's actually going through a period. It's either by, I can't remember which Dr. Daniel it is. It's either Dr. Daniel Siegel or Dr. Daniel Goleman. I think it might be Goleman, um, who talked about how the teenage brain is going through a pruning process. Like they're supposed to be argumentative because adolescence is a time that the brain is like getting rid of information, extraneous information that they don't, that it doesn't think it needs. So they're constantly questioning everything. And, um, and, and then there's a real human component to doing that. Like that's science. And so they're supposed to challenge things. They're supposed to prune, you know, from, from zero to age 12, they're just like soaking it all in and taking it all in. And, um, and then you, they have to get rid of some of the things that, that is not necessarily necessary and necessarily necessary. Um, and, and then make room for new, more advanced concepts on the information that the brain chooses to keep. And so uh, that made a lot of sense to me because I was like, oh, so when your teenager is acting argumentative and when your teenager's figuring out what information should I be able to prune and they're challenging you on things, um, if you can not make it mean, oh gosh, here we go. And instead make it mean, oh, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. And I don't have to react negatively here. I can just respond calmly and give them the information they need and let it roll off my back. Like I, I don't have to make their behavior mean anything about me. They're just doing their job. And the more you show up like that, the more you model that calm, mature behavior the more they learn that behavior as well, because they learn way more from what we model than from what we say, especially when we admonish and give them a bunch of lectures. Nobody's, nobody's listening. Nobody's in the thinking brain when that's going on. So you're really just wasting your breath. So I wanted to share this with you because I wanted you guys just for this to be on your radar and start to start noticing when are you talking smack about your own kids and and just calling yourself out on it a little bit like really do i need to bond with other parents by throwing my kids under the bus or can i bond with other parents on a common interest and something that's for good instead of something that is accidentally to the detriment of my own child like i have i'm an interesting person this other parent we may have things in common even besides kids that we can bond on. We may have common interests. We may be able to talk about things outside of kids and parenthood and bond and connect. And maybe if we want to bond and connect, we can bond and connect on all of the positive things that we're doing here that is actually going to benefit our kids. So let's bond and connect on that. So just be on to yourself, start noticing, don't judge yourself if you're doing it. We've all been there. We're all still there. And uh, this is a process. It's just part of the journey. So enjoy the conversation today and you guys have a great week. The pleasant California sunshine beams down on a sharply dressed man standing up to the broad double doors of a perfectly ordinary, shit, <laughs> 
Elementary School, just south of San Francisco. The man's name is Dr. Robert Rosenthal, and he knows that today is going to be anything but ordinary. He knows this because he's about to begin an experiment that will change the face of psychology forever. The year is 1963, and the school year is just beginning. With no time to lose, Rosenthal, along with his partner, Lenore Jacobson, give aptitude and IQ tests to every student in the school. As expected, some students do well, while others do very poorly. However, Rosenthal has no idea which is which. He's careful not, not to look at any of the test scores. When all the testing's concluded, all the teachers and faculty are called into a meeting. They wait with, with curious anticipation as the scientists present the results. In the field of scientific research, there's a long tradition of lying and deception. Oftentimes, it's important that the participants involved in a study do not have all the information. Someone who was given full knowledge could inadvertently be influenced by that information, which would skew the results. So like a good scientist, Rosenthal lies. Having no idea what any of the actual test scores are, he's picked some of the students' names at random, and he tells the teachers that these students are very intelligent and capable. He calls them spurters. Then after receiving some appreciative handshakes, they pack up their gear and go home. About nine months later, as the school year's coming to a close, the researchers return to conclude the second and final phase of their experiment. Rosenthal tests all the students once again and compares their latest tests, their latest scores to those from the beginning of the year. As he finishes reviewing the data, a wry smile pulls at the corners of his mouth. The hypothesis he had set out to prove was correct. The ran randomly selected spurter students all had significant increases in their scores compared to the rest of their peers. So they were randomly picked, the spurters. He was just like, like he didn't even look at the test scores and he was like, these people are the spurters, okay? Um, um, since they were blindly chosen, it's highly unlikely that all of these children were just naturally special and gifted. The only significant difference between the spurters and the rest of the school was that Rosenthal made sure the teachers believed the spurters were special, and that belief made it so. Nowadays, this phenomenon is called the Pygmalion effect, and it crops up everywhere in schools, businesses, sports teams, and of course, the home. Um, so your beliefs and expectations for your kids have a very real and measurable effect on their future performance and achievement. If you believe your kid is highly intelligent and capable, you will unconsciously demonstrate that belief in your words and actions. So our thoughts create our feelings, create our words, create our actions, create our results, right? Your kid will get the message loud and clear that they will be far more likely to rise to the occasion. Alternatively, if you believe your kid is lazy, stupid, unmotivated, helpless, or insert other negative adjective here, then chances are excellent that you will be right. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, so that's the thing. Our thoughts create our results. Our thoughts create our results. So if our child has been in defend and protect zone and we make that thought about that mean that our kid is just negative, they're never going to be easy, they're just defiant, they're, they hate us, um, they're destined for life to be terrible for them, um, they're going to have such a hard time. When that's our belief 
based on them living in this state of survival and shutdown and anxiety or depression. And if we make the story up in our head that it means that they're destined for blah, blah, blah future, that will be their future. But if instead we get curious and we're like, love and connect, defend and protect, these are behaviors that they are defend and protect. How can I help them through proactive pet time, intimate recurring exchanges, building trust, becoming their soft place to land so that I can help them shift into love and connect and they can then show us what their full potential is. That who knows their future is so bright. So when we change our beliefs about our child, we change their future. Have you read my book, The Parent Gap? Have you listened to my book, The Parent Gap? I doubt you've listened because my publisher hasn't released it yet on Audible. However, I have the audio version of The Parent Gap that I would love to send to you. You can download it at mastermindparenting.com forward slash book. That's mastermindparenting.com forward slash book for your free audio version of The Parent Gap. You're welcome. Bye.